With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Brighton Rock Podcast. Here with me, Peter Marsh today, is Russell Guyver, as usual. Hello. And, and welcome back, Richard Holberton, as well. Hi, Richard. Hi, Peter. Um, and today we have something wondrous to talk about. Albion won a game. We In can January. actually discuss one of the very few times we can actually discuss on this podcast an Albion win. So shall we uh, jump straight to it then? Seeing as... Uh, there's not much else that is worth talking about in the world. It'll be locked out. out. <laughs> exactly. Any, and, uh, anyone me... got any uh, initial thoughts on Leeds they'd like to share? Well, I, 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 I share. I probably don't share quite your euphoria because I know you, uh, you know, celebrate victories over Leeds more than anyone else, Peter. But um, yeah, it was. It, 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 as we were saying before we before we started this broadcast, it's a, it's a pleasure waking up on a Sunday morning knowing that you've got three points under your belt because um, it hasn't happened for a while and it doesn't happen frequently enough. Um, what did I think? Yeah, I mean, I I think I said on the before the before the Wolves game, I said that was a that was a must win. Uh, you know, I know it was a January fixture and they're not really must wins in January, but it was getting close to that point and obviously we didn't win that. Um, in fact, we're grateful for a draw in the end. So, um, you know, we can, we can, there's, I think there was plenty of pleasing stuff to talk about in the performance itself, collectively and from certain individuals. But, but the big, the biggest thing is just the three points itself. Um, I think the boost that you get as a fan and hopefully from the players from a win, I think is, is the main, the main thing. And given the, and not necessarily the run of form recently, but the run of results. I think it was really, really important to get a win in the bag. So, yeah, very pleasing. Yeah, yeah agree completely. Yeah, I think the three points at, was, was the most important thing by far, irrelevant of any performance or whatever. And, uh, yeah, Russ, what you, what's your thoughts? I was gutted, obviously. Um, you know, really, really wanted to lose someone. No, it's, it's fantastic, isn't it? Can I just say that ridiculously childlike grin on your face peter is truly <laughs> delicious <laughs> i have no idea what you mean i've literally no idea he looks like an Ardman character he's just got this huge cheesy grin um yeah i mean it's great isn't it i mean apparently that's um 
I think that's five wins in six at uh, Bell End Road. I mean, Bell End Road. Um, and um, I, I mean, it's the first win in January in the Premier League, apparently. So we got that monkey off our back as well. Um, what I loved about it was the fact that, A, we held on to a lead for once, uh, which we've only done on the occasions that we've won the games, isn't it? The previous times, um, which haven't been that many. And we've won a game in January and um, we've kept up a brilliant record against Leeds. And we've we've won a game at an absolutely vital stage because it was getting ever more desperate, wasn't it? Off the run yeah. of, was it nine games without a win? Mm-hmm. Um, we were desperate. It, it was only a matter of time before we slipped into the relegation zone because we weren't going to get away with just drawing our way to safety. Um, so given Fulham have a couple of games in hand, I don't know when they're playing them, but, uh, you know, it was, it was going to get hairy. So it was a very timely... Uh, win and I'm absolutely delighted and the other thing I was pleased with was, was the, we'll get into it in more detail probably later the game management um, yeah. which relates obviously to not conceding the lead mm-hmm. um, we looked like we handled that situation over a long, quite a long period wasn't it because we scored in the 17th minute I think throughout the game a couple of scares aside we handled it pretty <clears> well <throat> particularly in the final stages Davy Proper in particular just he, he killed time beautifully uh, with with his hold up play, which was great. So those yeah. those are my extras. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I agree with all of that. I think, um, I mean, it, we should probably come on to individuals at some point because I thought there were some very noteworthy, outstanding performances individually. But I think, I think you're right, Russell. As a, as a collective, I think, I think um, it, it showed signs of you know Potter and the team having done the homework on it and set up a kind of very savvy game plan. I think, and we kind of managed the game pretty much from start to finish very well, but including the last few minutes. Um, you know, Leeds are, I think, the something like the fifth highest scorers in the division and have conceded more goals than only one other other team, I think I'm right in mm-hmm. saying. So, you know, they're quite a front foot free scoring team, or they try to be anyway. So I think trying to trying to set up to go toe-to-toe with them on their, on their terms for 90 minutes was never going to work. But equally being entirely defensive and trying to hit them on the break wasn't going to work either. So I think, you know, it, it looked like a very well-managed hybrid between the two in that, you know, sat back when it was necessary to um, let them have the ball when it was, when it was the right thing to do. Um, but picked our moments to attack very, very well. Um, and there was never a point in the game when I thought we were, I mean, there was a few points when they looked threatening a bit in the second half, but they never really converted that into clear cut chances. And there was certainly never a point when we were under siege or anything like it. So I think, you know, managing the game and controlling the game was as a, as a unit was really, really pleasing to see. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think there's, we, we did what we haven't done in recent weeks and that was defended solidly. We kind of held on, when we needed to, there were some moments when we were under pressure, but not like concerted pressure, but kind of in our box defending and we we dealt with it and Leeds didn't really seem to know how to break us down. And I think it's interesting because Leeds obviously is record without Calvin Phillips, apparently, as they've lost every game without him in the Premier League this season, which obviously is a, is a bit of a, on a, on the one hand, a bit of a uh, kind of shows that you know, they, they, they missed him a lot and also they missed their keeper although I don't think the keeper made any mistakes particularly, and also they were missing two centre-halves as well. But then we were missing yeah. we were missing Lamptey, we were missing Welbeck, Connolly might have made a difference as well, you know, if Leeds were pushing forward. Um, Lallana as well. Yeah. And one very surprising name from the starting line, who I still cannot quite understand why he was 
he wasn't started, even though obviously it worked in the end. Um, Basuma, who I still yeah. don't quite understand why he didn't start the game. And I'll, I'll hold my hands up. And before the game, I was very surprised by the selection. Mm. I thought it was very odd to not play your, what I would say, been our best player this season. In terms yeah, of- you weren't the only one who was surprised by that, Peter. I was as well. Um, not least because he might have been one of our better players throughout the season, but also because yeah. he was suspended for the Man City game. And therefore, you'd think would be fresher. And it, yeah. bear, in, bear in mind, it was the third away game in a week. Um, and also it, to, to to not play him and play a centre half and a attacking midfielder as your central midfield too, well, he got as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the surprise to me was the absence of Basuma and the inclusion of of Gross, probably. But I, yeah. I'm 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 eating a bit of humble pie on that because I think for the, for the game plan that we had set up um i think gross gross fitted in very well and he's a, he's a, he's a sort of understated player at the best of times but and does the things that make a team tick but that you don't always notice particularly but i thought he was he actually had a really good game i thought on Saturday. Yeah. and having you know watch him in previous games he's not he's not the quickest and he's not he's not extravagantly skillful either but he's got a very very good football brain and he he spots opportunities very quickly and he spots danger very quickly mm. as well. And you can see him, if we lose the ball upfield, he'll he'll either plug the gap himself if someone else is out of position or make sure someone else does that so that the danger is sort of stemmed. And I think, you know, we could talk about the goal, but I think his his role in the goal, which was only a little flick on to, to White, but it took at least one Leeds defender out of the picture, maybe two, if you're generous. Um and it and it all stemmed from there. So uh, yeah, I, I thought the I thought the selection was a bit odd from that perspective. But it, you're always vindicated when you win, right? So, yeah, absolutely. I well, mean, well. If, if he went and selected the, the youth eleven and we went and won, then I, I think most people would be pretty happy and they wouldn't really, uh, uh, if, even if they were a bit confused before the game. But yeah, I mean, overall, I thought it, it worked very well. I mean, I, I we're going to start to add on individual players. I thought McAllister had his arguably best game for us. He looked, he was brilliant, and I think the the goal was down to his. You know, kind of the, his. I, I thought initially he was going to shoot or pass wide, and I think most of Lee's defences as well. And then he passed it into Trossard, completely at the wrong foot in them, and kind of like took about two or three of them out of the game there as well. And that was where the goal came from. And Trossard, to be fair, did well as well, controlled it and <coughs> played back to him. And it, yeah, obviously the I think the cross and the and the, the finish were both relatively easy, I'd say, from there. Yeah. But the, it was the interchange there that kind of I think kind of opened Leeds up. I thought it was a really, I thought it was a really, really well created goal. I mean, pe- people people rave about goals when somebody smashes it into the top corner from thirty yards out, but uh, but that was you know a move involving six players from well inside our own half, um, and just picked them apart, and it ended up with a you know a tap into a completely unguarded net for you, from your main striker from three yards out. So it was it was great it was you know no, I prefer goals very like very that well to, very well composed I prefer goals like that to the long range one I voted for Izquierdo's goal at Stoke yeah. over his one against West Ham at home in that first yeah. season up because I just yeah the interchange for that goal at Stoke and I think this one was quite similar in a way was was just brilliant whereas you know I mean yes it was a brilliant shot against West Ham he scored and yes goals like Johan Batch's one last season are amazing goals but they, you know, there's not an element of, of fluke on it, but it's certainly you can do that a lot of times and not score, um, you know, and just miss it or whatever. Whereas the, the interchange and the passing was so crisp in that move, especially considering the pitch as well, which was horrendous. Yeah, the pitch was dreadful. And I think it was, you know, it was a, I said I said before, I thought we played an intelligent game throughout and that the goal was a sort of microcosm of it in that, you know, Trossard took up a very smart position um, in the middle of that move. Um Morpay's movement even before he got the ball was was kind of important in you know I, I can't remember who their defender their nearest defender was but he was 
he was nowhere near him by the time he got the ball. Um, so yeah, good, very good yeah, goal. I think it was Click was the defender. I'm not sure though, but um, yeah, and no, I'd, I'd, I'd echo what you said, Peter. I was going to make the same point actually. I prefer, and I voted for that same Stoke goal that you were talking about um, in that season too, um, over his other one, his other one, um, because it was a very similar goal, wasn't it? It was, it was just incisive, crisp, direct, immediate. It put them on the back foot, didn't give them a chance to set themselves. Um, started right in our pretty much on the edge of our area, wasn't it? It was a burn header, a sort of a defensive flick over a, an opponent by March. One touch with his left foot from Grosh, as, as we mentioned. And then, obviously, you got the one-two scenario with uh, McAllister and Trossard. Um, so, pretty pleased with that. Trossard seems to be we've, um, developing a run of games and a run of good games. Uh, now, if you take out the cut match, McAllister the same. I, th- I think it was his best game as well, Richard. I agree with you on that. And... More pay for all the criticism, and, and you know some of it justified. I think his touch could be better. Certain elements could be better. Obviously, he suffered with confidence issues. But for all of that, he's got seven goals now this season. He's on course to beat last season's record of ten, which we were pleased with. Um, uh, part of that is the fact I think we are creating more chances. So the fact we squandered the number of chances we had is relative to that. But um, but overall, I mean that was a terrific goal. You know, if you play with that degree of crispness and immediacy and interactivity and movements, you are going to put any team on the back foot. Um, and as it proves... I don't know why we don't do it more often, actually. I mean, we yeah. do kind of a lot of the time just ponder, you know, potter around and, you know, think about it and then wait for the other team to get back when we're trying to counter-attack, whereas that was actually incisive. And a, yeah. a couple of other occasions we were as well when we actually tried to, to actually attack when teams had a few players forward. Yeah. I, also I, think... I wonder a bit whether... whether... Leeds' style of play allowed us to do that a little bit in that, you know, they, they play quite aggressively. They leave themselves open a lot and you can exploit the space when it presents itself to, to play like that. Um, yeah, I think that's a... th- maybe Maybe that helped a bit. I mean, talk, I mean one, one play we didn't talk about, or we talked about his role in the goal, um, was, was Ben White. But I thought he had a... And interesting that he chose Leeds as the opponent to do it, but I thought he had a really, really good game. Uh, I thought his distribution was really good. His positional play was very good. Obviously, he had a big role in the goal itself. Yeah, sorry, um, I actually and, missed him out, didn't I? When I was well, we all did. Yeah, he, he received uh, but, but the ball from I thought, Rush, he, I, thought, yeah. I thought he was very good, and also, and also without the ball. I mean, there seems to be numerous times in the first half, particularly where, you know, we seem to be able to shepherd shepherd them into up blind alleys, really, and 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 get the ball off them a lot. Um, I mean, White wasn't the only person instrumental in that, but he had a part in it. I thought all round, both both with the ball and and without. I thought in that position he was he was very good. Um, yeah. I think sometimes, not always, but sometimes, if the movement and the build up play is good enough, you can end up in a position where you've got more pace, got a tap in. He's in acres of space. He's completely unmarked. Some of that you could put down to criticism of the defence, but part of it is, as you said, the movements in the build up to the goal. The cleverness, the way he moved, the way he deceived the yeah, I think defender into where he thought he was going to be. It was the fact yeah. that they were expecting a shot or a ball out wide, and he just completely run yeah. them with that ball into. And they probably weren't too worried about a ball out wide or a, or a shot because it's they had it covered. Yeah, and suddenly to play in the trossard and then make that run. Completely- yeah, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't have produced the movement involved, but I certainly, I could have scored the goal that he scored. But he's fully deserving of that goal because he is the one that did create the space for that, and, for and also. As well. You know, you say about Mope, I think he is literally the definition of a confidence player. His, his goals oh. at Albion have all come in, in runs. They've not come here, you know, a goal every three games. They've come 
four games four games in a row and we scored in and then not score for like eight games or something like that. He's he is the definition of a confidence strike. So the fact that he he hopefully has started to get confidence back now and is scoring is hopefully going to be a good thing for us. Hmm. Someone else I'd like to mention as well is who I thought had again arguably his best game for us and I think it's you know really actually I think it's been pretty good generally is Veltman who I thought yeah. was in the second half behind a number of our attacks as well as being very solid defensively. He was behind a number of our attacks and kind of was, if you watch match of the day afterwards as well, it reminded me how many of them he was involved in breaking up play and kind of crossing it or passing it across. And he, he looks, you can see, I mean, I, I, I think it'd be a real shame when everyone's fit if he's not a regular in the team anyway. But I mean, the problem is where does he fit in? Just if White plays midfield, then you've got a load of players like Proper and Alzate who miss out if, if he plays right back, then Lamptey's not playing. If he plays centre back, then one of Webster, White, and Dunk have got to miss out. So it's it's a very good you know, issue to have, I suppose, in the sense, especially with a, a quite a busy second half of the season. But yeah, I, I was about to say the same thing. In a way, it's a nice problem to have. And I think you know, you take take all three games from last week in the round. I think one of the pleasing things was that people that that might not necessarily get as, get as much playing time stake to claim for themselves. I mean, McAllister, we talked about particularly, and I thought, you know, he, he was outstanding against Leeds um, and pretty good in the other games as well. Um, yeah, that's the interesting Felt, one. Feltman was very solid, as you said. Um, Percy, Percy Tau, yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't that great against Leeds. He didn't come on for very long, but, you know, it, it's good that the you know, players who've sort of been a little bit on the fringes of the squad have, yeah. have been given playing time and, and, and acquitted themselves really well. So, so those three are doing well. What happens then exactly? We've got Tao on the bench. What happens when Delana's back? What happens when Welbeck's back? If Basuma comes in for Grosh, where does Grosh fit in? You know, it's kind of proper as well as started you know, looking actually back to his best the last couple of weeks. It's actually yeah. a bit of competition suddenly. Yeah. And the, the other the other two players that we haven't mentioned were were Dunk and Webster, who I thought both were, you know, in saying that we weren't under sustained pressure for any long period of the game, and I don't think we were. But on the occasions when Leeds got balls in the box or, um, you know, got into threatening positions, um, defensively, I thought they were both rock solid. And, yeah. and and actually Webster, in an attacking sense as well, brought the ball out very capably a few times. You know, a couple of little heart-in-the-mouth moments when he overran it a bit. But, but uh, you know, it showed intent. And it more often than not, it led to, you know, something good happening. And he had that shot in the second half. I thought both of them had really good games. Yeah, and yeah. actually, to be fair to him, given his struggles recently, Dan Byrne, I thought, did pretty well as well. I think he showed that played in a proper position, a centre half within a three, he's got a pretty, he doesn't do a decent job. Whereas if he's left at left back or left wing back, he he's going to struggle because, especially yeah. against a winger like Traore or someone with real pace. But against Leeds, I thought he, you know, he played pretty well as well. He was solid enough. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I think it was a. Uh... All round, it was a good performance. I do agree. Webster driving forward, Andy K likes that, doesn't he? Elements of his game, Webster. He really did. I mean, he was very Lawrence-esque in a couple of moments in that match. Dunk, the header back to the goalie, this time finds its man uh, where it didn't against City. Just uh, Things just click together. Dunk's looking better in general. Um, I think individually and collectively, they all play, play pretty well. Um, half, those two goals helped Dunk. In, in, yeah, yeah, we, I think they did. He so. struggled a bit yeah. this season generally. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think just lots of positives to be had from that. We don't want to get overexcited because it's, ultimately it's one win it's after really. a lot of times not winning. <laughs> but it has, um, you know, it has at least given us an air of confidence, an air of um, hope and brightness into uh, into the into the life at the moment, doesn't it? And 
it's it's weird how it transitions things because now we've got Fulham next in terms of league games at least. Um, suddenly that looks like a more winnable game off the back of what we've just done. I know there's no guarantees here, but if we can win that match, we go not only onto a, a, a one of a run of two wins for the first time this season, but we also, you know, we we can then propel ourselves confidence wise. And I think, you know, this could be the turning point for us. Um, it feels to me as if there was a lot more in the tank. We hadn't fulfilled our potential this season. I, in the run-up to this match, I was strangely confident on match day uh, to the tune of me putting quite a few bets in, uh, mainly on scores that didn't come up. It's pretty much every winning score you could think of apart from bloody 1-0. But anyway, what <laughs> I did, I did have more pay, first scorer, 10 quid, and last scorer, 10 quid. So um, I ended up about um, 110 quid in, in profit on that, off the back of that. And um, because I felt he would score, I felt he was in a, a hit and miss phase in terms of his confidence, but he liked scoring against them. He likes playing against them. Um, obviously, as soon as I saw he was in the starting lineup, that was, I put the money on. Um, I just thought that he was due one. I fancied him for this match. Um, he's somebody, and this is what was annoying about the Arsenal game really uh, so much I fancied him to score then as well at least in this, this occasion we've got the we've got the point we've got their points we've got the win um and I think we're yeah we've we've set ourselves up nicely now and we just need to build on that going forwards yeah I think uh, yeah good points and I think I think given our points total before the game and and previous results I think we'd probably all of it we would all have accepted a win by you know by hook or by crook and it didn't didn't really matter how but the fact that the win was achieved with a you know a very good performance and everybody who played was at least solid and in some cases a lot better than that does and and other you know as we said fringe players contributed as well that gives me confidence that it's a springboard to 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 move on and push on rather than a you know a fluky win that we don't repeat um so yeah yeah i mean i I think there's this big picture, isn't there, going on where we've got a very large squad. We're rotating a lot of people. There's quite a lot we're trying to do here. It's a bit ambitious to keep turning things around as much as we are. But I think if we can get through this season and the early part of next season as a Premier League club, we I think we will bear the fruits of all that labour because I think we will then have a number of players who have got used to playing with each other. At the moment, those partnerships are not really developing because we're not playing them enough together. But I think over time, everyone will be used to playing with each other um, to the point where we'll have a really slickly functioning outfit where people can slip in and out and play with whoever and it will be fine. That's the way I could see it going. Um, The other thing was to mention about the points. Yeah, if we can beat Fulham, we go on to 20 points from 20 games, which is one point per game. Andy Kay has, has mentioned before on previous podcasts on here that he thinks it'll be a lower points total for survival this season. I'm inclined to agree with him. Um, but even if it isn't, if you stick to the point per game thing, you're safe. And that puts us back on track with some winnable games in February to come. So that's a positive as well. Um, we'll haul in a few as well. I mean, we might even conceivably go above Newcastle in that process. And yeah. I still think they may well be the ones, the ones looking at the way they're playing at the moment. Yeah. They seem to get nick wins when they desperately need them, but at the moment they, they look dreadful and Bruce is under a lot of pressure. Um, yeah, he's looking ever more under pressure, isn't he? The weird thing is, as well, because um, the season, uh, sorry, the season, sorry, the weekend started with the West Brom game. It looked like it was going to be a very different kind of weekend for a while, didn't it? Because they got an unexpected win. They were 1 0 up, they went 2 1 down. You think, oh, relax. And then they win it 3 2. 
And he said, great, that's not a good start. Um, however, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, it worked out not a bad weekend because that was the only result that went against us. And for um, the key player for our game next week. And yeah, well, a couple of other games. Yeah, as well. yeah, yeah Robinson yeah. West- getting suspended. Yeah, yeah, West Brom winning was really the only the only blemish on it. When Fulham lost, Burnley lost. Um, and as you Sheffield said, earlier, lost. Palace got thrashed. Can we mention that? Yeah, we can. Um, yeah, we can. Leeds yeah. lost. <laughs> Leeds lost, and of course, Wolves lost by losing to West Brom. So, ironically, maybe maybe if we are onto a better second half of the season, maybe that's actually a good result for us. The West Brom win. Wolves being a uh, <laughs> Going down, I think they'll be okay. No, I don't. I don't really. No, but to your point earlier, Peter, I thought for a while that Newcastle might well get dragged into it, and they they do look they don't look like a happy ship at the moment, or don't sound like a happy ship at the moment, and their results are very poor lately. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see them being hauled into the relegation struggle. And, and the more we can haul into it, the better. I mean, the more chance because it looked like not a couple of weeks ago that maybe Burnley were pulled clear and end up being well, probably one from. One from two to go down with West Brom and Sheffield United pretty dropping, and it's one between us and Fulham. But now we're above Burnley. We've got Newcastle in relatively close. You know, it's actually looking a lot more, a lot more kind of yeah, more, more hopeful now. Yeah, my I actually speak of bets. I put a bet on prior to the weekend uh, for Sheffield United, West Brom, and Newcastle to go down because looking at the demeanour of the manager, the general ambience around the players on and off the pitch. Um, from what I've seen, I haven't watched their games live, but just from bits and pieces, clip bits of hot live games and mainly highlights. Um, I think they look like everything about them looks like a club in trouble. And with a whole half a season still to go, um, they've, they've got every bit the reason to worry about the, what's coming ahead. Because um, Fulham are what five behind us, with we're two behind Newcastle, seven point gap. Is that right? And yeah. Fulham have got the games in hand. I mean, Newcastle even if they just got a... Well, they're playing at Villa at the weekend. Oh, OK. Yeah. yeah. So if if Fulham, say, for example, uh, match one result against the uh, game in hand against Newcastle and manage to win the other one, uh, which, say, for example, the Villa game, um, suddenly that, that looks very, very real, doesn't it? Um, things things could twist the other way in, a, in an instant, of course. We realise that. But... Uh, no, I mean, that everything about them doesn't look good at the moment. And A lot um, for Fulham, I think, depends on them getting a striker as well. I mean, their, their, their current system involves Mitrovic not playing, really, and he's by far their best striker, but he's not mobile enough. Mm. So they've been playing Caballero, and he missed a really good chance at the weekend. He against did, Chelsea, didn't he? At 0-0, which, if they'd taken at that point, Chelsea have not been on great form recently. Um, they could easily have gone on to win the game, or at least get a draw. But because he's their main striker, and he's not really a, a, a main striker... They've played in average pace. He's not really going to score the goals necessarily to keep them up. So if they, they need, like, I mean, like I still think we could do with a, a really out-and-out striker with the pace that they've got, but they don't come cheap. No one seems to be uh, yeah. offering them up offering them up for free, you know, or for cheap deals. Yeah, and actually that Caballero chance reminded me of the, the ghost of recent past for the Albion there. I mean, it was very much a... Well, actually, it's probably a more sharply incisive attacker, in fact. But but the miss itself, you think, oh, just the ball comes at him. You've got to take it quickly. You've got to hit it. And It wasn't that far was... away from being a similar position from where Trossard missed at the weekend, which mm. still could have come to haunt us. I kind of yeah. like the one where it's a bit of a different move, but it was the actual position and the, the, you know, it was as good a chance. They were both pretty good chances. And yeah. I must admit, at that point, I could see us conceding and it being the same old story. We didn't take our chances to go 2-0 and then... Yeah, it could have been. On on the matter of the match, actually, the goal was 17 minutes, uh, for anyone that doesn't know. 
Um, so it's a nice and early in the game, which again, I think is the key to us. And um, we score very early against Newcastle on the way to winning that one. Can't remember in the other game uh, how early we scored, but quite early as well. And yeah, all it back just after half time. Villa was about fifteen, something like that. Well, yeah. So that's interesting, isn't it? Um, but also, um, I mean, it was. It just I, I, difficult to say, really. But I, I just think we um, started in the right manner, and then we settled into our stride. The pitch wasn't great. We have to say that. Um, it, I mean, they've had some pretty bad weather up there. Lots of rain, lots of snow, lots of frost, all sorts of stuff. Um, it looked very long, the grass, which I know can be a counteractive measure for uh, frosty weather. But um, yeah, it, it looked like it was cut yeah. up badly, which didn't help either team, to be honest. However, um, we came out on top, which I was pleased with. Um, I have to say, honorary mention to Trossard as having part, a major part to play in yet another strike on the crossbar. <laughs> which came after the goal. I can't remember when it was in the first half, what but um, afterwards, I think was it like maybe ten minutes afterwards. It was. Yeah. It was pretty. It was pretty soon after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would have been and nice. It was, a, it, it was an attempted sort of flash cross across goal. It was interesting. If that hadn't taken the deflection, I think it came off ailing and went onto the bar, didn't it? And then went to safety. But if it hadn't have come off ailing, it looked like it was going towards the other Leeds defender before it would have got anywhere near Morpay. But it was coming with such force. I wonder. If a, a ball may have broken loose there, we could have we could have possibly scored with it. But it's good to notch up another tick on our crossbar challenge. I mean, how many have we hit so far? Is it about ten now? Uh, I mean, Possibly. five on, on Man U alone, wasn't it? So yeah, we had two against Fulham, was it? One or two against Fulham? One against Fulham. Villa uh, was there a one against Villa? Maybe. Can't remember now. Anyway, there's definitely been other other incidents. I'm trying to think when else, but yeah. yeah. But going on stats just quickly as well, I mean, Leeds had 67% of the possession. In terms of the shots, though, seven each, two each on target. So pretty even and that's on that score. They had more corners and we conceded slightly more fouls. But um, overall, um, I think, I'm not quite sure, I'd have to check it, but I think we, we tend to have less possession when we've won this season, which is yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I think we do. And the interesting thing is, despite those stats sounding quite even, on the expected goal stat, we had about... I think it was like they had 0.24 and we had 1.4 or something like that. So yeah. we obviously had the better chances, you know, the Trossard one, the one that hit a bar in the end, and yeah. Trossard in the second half, the other ones when we kind of actually, we looked quite dangerous second half. And that's where I thought Veltman was really good, actually, because I think in a lot of ways we've lost a bit of attacking impetus without Lamptey. But actually on, on Saturday, I thought he got down the wing. He's obviously not got the pace of, of Lamptey, but he got, down, he got forward quite well and offered quite a lot of us going forward there. Yeah. Um, just two other things from me quickly. Um, first of all, for anyone um, listening to this, you'll, you'll already know the result. But as we record this, West Ham are winning 1-0 against West Brom in uh, the Premier League uh, just after half-time uh, with a first-half goal. Um, so that's good news. So far, so good. Must uh, be the other point... It was 45 plus one, I think, or something. So goal. Yeah, yeah. So oh, right, right at the end of the half. Right, right. Um, and the other thing was just going back to a point which Richard alluded to regarding our game at the weekend. Um, about space afforded to the Albion. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of comments in and outside of the club at Leeds saying that wasn't that was one of their poorest performances of the season and this, that and the other. And I'm sure that probably is true. But I think part of the reason why it was is the fact that Calvin Phillips is missing. Now, that for me was the other reason that I haven't mentioned that I was so supremely confident about us winning the game because... I think he's pivotal for them. I think he's vital. I think despite 
everything we love about Ben White, I do actually think that Phillips was even more important than White last season for them. And this season, he's been vital. The only three games they've lost, I think three games they've lost, three, four games, all of them have been with Phillips absent from the team. Even with him in the team, they are... Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, all the games he's been missing, they've lost. Um, I think they've lost some other games as well. But um, essentially, he's him being in there is essential to them getting a result. Um, they're vulnerable. They play a gung-ho style, and they rely on him being the pivot as, yeah. as a defensive midfielder. When he's not there, it leaves a huge gap. And trying to play any version of the style they normally like to play is vastly weakened by him not being in that position. Even when he's there, they, they can be hit on the break, which is why they've got so many high-scoring games um, and they get thrashed or they thrash other teams. That's the way they play. Without him there, I don't think they're comfortable as much playing in a different system and they're not as comfortable playing the same system without him. So that's why I felt so confident. And you could see shades of the good leads, couldn't you? They like to play sort of mid-range balls forward, get a really good first touch on it in a wide position and try and go very directly from there. But I think... When you double up on them, you can negate that um, a little bit. And knowing that you've got that threat on the break as well, I think those those elements together are why they probably played a more cagey game, a less confident game, and why we were able to beat them. I also think, um, you know, I, I think that was one of the areas that Brighton managed pretty well. And that there, as I said, there was a period in second half... Um, you know, where they had some threatening positions and they looked as if they might be able to carve out chances. But, <clears throat> you know, we managed to, 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 you know, either turn them away from a direct route to goal or get enough numbers back to um, to nullify the threat. Um, and as a result, they didn't. I mean, I think they had one one shot, which was narrowly wide, but I can't remember them. Other than that, I don't really remember them having any very, very clear-cut chances. Um, and I think, you know, the way we defended further out was was a big part of the reason for that. Um, and a lot of White was one of the players involved in that, but there were others as well. Um, and to your earlier point, Russell, I think, you know, the way we managed the game in, in the last five or ten minutes was was very composed. Good contrast to the Newport game where we didn't manage the game very well at the end. The um, only frustration I had at the end was like, I thought um, for his 20 minutes, Percy Tao didn't really get in the game. He didn't, he no. was... I know he's kind of quite isolated, but where, to me, when you've just come on a sub, you should be chasing everything and running after everything. And a few times he gave the ball away and didn't really chase after it, in my view. Didn't yeah, really he made he made a couple of questionable questionable yeah. decisions it's late in the game where the we ended up. Game, I thought when he actually con- controlled yeah. it and took it off and, and went to the side of the defender, and then that was when the referee blew his whistle. Yeah, but I think I think you know taking taking last week's three games as a whole, I think I think you know his appearance is a is a good sign. You know yeah. he's quick, quick, he's direct, he's willing to take people on. Um, oh yeah, and it's still you know, difficult something different. Like, yeah, I didn't he didn't have his best his we, best we time against Leeds. Further, but... further back, so I'm not I'm not particularly criticism. It's just the ball didn't. You need in that situation someone to the ball to stick to them, and it didn't really stick to him. It kind of like just bounced off him quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, one all now, guys. How annoying. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, yeah, just just a point on White actually, because obviously there's a lot of focus on him because he was on loan to Leeds last season. I mean, there's um, after the result, there was a lot of people posting the, uh, a tweet of a picture of White with just like a cheeky smirk on his face, which was actually taken pre-match in the warm-up just before kickoff, um, which was used as a 
a wry riposte to Leeds fans online, um, which was which, uh, quite amusing. Um, but uh, no, I thought he had a good game. He got forward. He was adventurous. He went on one bursting run and had a shot charged down. But, um, you know, he, he was going getting forward. He certainly, there was no accusations of him being in split loyalties at all. Not that I would imagine he would. But, uh, you know, he, he did pretty well as well, didn't he? And um, uh, I, I thought it was, yeah, it was a good positive performance from him as well. He had the involvement in the goal, as you said, and I thought that that was uh, a good element. But I agree with you about Percy Tao. Yeah, he didn't really get his foot in this one. <clears throat> Maybe against Fulham, we'll see. Or first yeah. of the platform. Yes, indeed. Yeah, we've got that first, of course, coming up. Um, Richard's got to go shortly. So I don't know, firstly, Richard, if you've got any further thoughts or reflections on the game um, or what's coming up next. No, not really on the game. I'll, I'll, I'll leave you guys to talk about the Blackpool game if that's what you're going to do next. But I think, I think, yeah, I, I don't know what I don't know what the um, prognosis is for the players who are injured at the moment. But it'd be quite interesting to see what uh, what team Potter picks for for the for the cup game if others are coming back from injury. I don't know whether that's too soon for them, um, you know. But it may be that we see some some people who wouldn't normally play in a an early rounds cup game, but do because they're coming back from injury. So. I, that's one possibility, but I'll be I'll certainly be intrigued to see who he picks. I wonder if Glenn Murray is actually available. Technically he might be. I don't know if he played for Has Watford there been in, cut short then? Because I I heard he was talking about moving somewhere else, but I haven't actually seen that he's actually cut his loan short. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. And and, it, and what's the cut off for cutting it short? Who knows? <laughs> who knows? But um yeah, I, I mean who you just don't have any idea really what's going to happen with Potter selections in general, but especially for the Cups. But uh, anyway, on that note, Richard, I know you've got to go um, before we break for our halftime interval um, with the score still one all in the uh, West Ham West Brom game. Fingers crossed for the rest of that one. Um, thanks for joining us, Richard. We'll hope to see you soon. Always um, a pleasure, especially yeah, when we've won. Oh, yeah. Isn't it great? What a great feeling. And, and you've got a cheesy grin as well, I hasten to add, which is, is good to see. We all have, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> so we, we'll break for half time there. So thanks to Richard and Peter and I will be back in just a moment. Cheers for now. So welcome back to part two of this latest episode. We are now without Richard. He's had to leave us, um, but it is still Peter and I. And um, we're just going to go through... um a few bits of brief football news in a moment. First of all, some notices. And um, we'd like to say thank you very much to Alan, who we mentioned three or four weeks ago. He's got back in touch to say how much he enjoyed the Brian Horton episode that we've had on recently. And it brought back quite a few good memories for him uh, from previous times supporting the club. Um, similarly, with um, Malcolm, a friend of mine, a.k.a. Cheshire, as he's known to some online. Um, he's been in touch as well, saying pretty similar and also Phil Breeze, who is both a regular listener to the show and also a regular member of Seagulls Over London. So hello to all of you. Thank you again uh, to all of you for getting in touch. Please keep listening and we really love hearing from you as well. Um, in sadder news this week, we've been hearing that Sol Bamba, unfortunately, has been diagnosed with cancer. Former Cardiff City player in his more recent playing times and very recently he's been a pundit with Sky Sports uh, on their news channel, uh, amongst other things. Um, 
but we wish him the very best. Also to Steve Cotterall, who is a one-time Albion player. He's been a manager for quite some time in more recent uh, era. Um, Latterly of Shrewsbury, he's been manager there and has overseen a really good turnaround in their fortunes in the last few weeks. However, he's uh, caught COVID. He was admitted to an ICU unit in hospital, um, but is apparently stable and recovering now. So we wish him well also. In lighter news, uh, well, probably not for, for the player concerned, but for us just reporting on it, Lionel Messi has got his first club level red card in his entire career. Um, Barca are appealing it, but um, he was sent off in what I think was a defeat for them against Athletic Bilbao the other day. Um, interesting, he did get sent off twice at international level, including on his debut for Argentina, but that's the first time he's been sent off at club level. In other South American-based news, I've been watching the Copa America where there's been some interesting matchups. It's been not always the case, but it is this year that it was it was the it was the two big boy nations coming up against each other in both semis, with River Plate taking on Palmeiras. My friend Ronaldo, a Brazilian, is a fan of theirs. Hello to you if you're listening, Ronaldo. Um, the other one was uh, between Santos and Boca Juniors. In the first legs, um, River were beaten three 0 at home by Palmeiras, um, but in a really exciting second leg. Um, River managed to win 2-0 in Brazil to really take it to the wire and apparently there was some controversy around the game Um, I didn't catch the second leg unfortunately on that one but in the end Palmeiras um, prevailed 3-2 on aggregate the one I did watch in more detail was the Boca-Santos game the first leg at the Bombonero in Argentina was 0-0 the second leg um, ended up being a comfortable win for Santos, 3-0. Soteldo with the goal, the middle goal of those three being particularly impressive, a cracking effort from him. And Santos, um, I watched the second leg of their game, absolute chaos. Um, apparently the, the usual tricks, fireworks near the hotel the night before, all of those shenanigans going on. And there was a load of, there's a huge number of people congregated outside the stadium before the match which obviously is is ridiculous and and so stupid. And then as the teams have finished warming up and started getting ready to kick off the game, the second leg, um, fireworks were there. They were cut away to, to shots of fireworks having landed on the pitch, one somewhere near the dugout and one in the middle of the pitch. So there's scenes of the referee trying to kick this firework off that he couldn't stamp out initially. And then it cuts to a shot of a, another firework sailing in on a mini parachute so, which explains how the other fireworks got in as well. What, the, what, what are these guys doing? It's crazy. Obviously, it's all intimidation tactics. Or... I think we have some slightly um, crazy fans over here. And, and then, you re- then you read about stuff like that and you think, it's not even close, are we? We're all wimps over here. Yeah, absolutely mad. Really, really crazy stuff. Um, so, but, you know, it's going to ultimately, um, the crux of the matter is, it's going to be an all-Brazilian final between Palmeiras and... Uh, Santos, that's going to be uh, covered on BBC on their iPlayer service. So I'll be checking that out. It's, it's some good football there. The play acting is embarrassing, um, but there's some really good plays. So Teldo's goal for Santos is the middle goal in their three 0 win in the second leg as they swept the opposition aside to qualify after the goalless first leg um, was particularly impressive. But uh, well, stuff fireworks on the night. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly that. Yeah. So, so that was good. Any other bits of news you picked up, Peter, from the week? I, mean, I suppose the main things are the Albion side, aren't they? So, Bernardo's obviously yeah. gone to Salzburg on loan, which I'm a bit mixed feelings about because I, I kind of think we haven't seen the best of him. 
Um, Potter's obviously decided he isn't, isn't quite the right fit for him for whatever reason. I, I thought he looked really good the first season he was here under Hewton when given the chance. And I was disappointed last season he didn't get more opportunities. But, I mean, they've got to trust Potter if they're going to, seemingly they're going to keep him. So they've got to kind of trust him. And he's obviously decided that they'd, he'd rather play this. So the alternative side is Karpovnik has come in after being a signing in the summer, but being sent back on loan to Legia also in the summer, has now started signed permanently or come in permanently ahead of when he would have come in the summer. So yeah, he is the light for light replacement for Bernardo and one that Potter's more likely to play, hopefully. Yeah, I was hearing rumours that he um, might be going out, Bernardo, and I was anxious about it because I thought, well, we if we get rid of him, yeah, ready-made player for the team. We've got to then bring someone else in. And um, it turns out that uh, the season long loan, as you said, at Kapovnik has uh, been cut short. So it was, it was an option available to us. I guess that makes sense now, doesn't it? One in, one out. Um, Gilkeris, uh confirmation, he has gone to Coventry for the second half of the season on loan. He had so few games yeah. that's uh, one thing to Coventry. Yeah, and young player of the year last season was Warren O'Hora, defender for us with the U team. He's now confirmed as gone on an undisclosed fee, uh, for an undisclosed fee, to MK Dons, uh, Brighton fan, former youth player himself, um, Russell Martin, of course, in charge at, uh, at MK Dons. Um, that's probably a good move because, I mean, to be honest with you, it's, it's going to be very difficult for him to break past he what was, we've got in our squad, isn't it? Since he was young player of the year last year, we brought in, obviously White's come back anyway and Veltman's come in, but then further down, we've brought in Den Donker, we've brought in Van Heck as well, who are, you know, he's playing in the Dutch first division at the moment. Uh, Robert's obviously playing in the second division, uh, League One over here. Um, Clark is playing in the championship. Ostergaard's playing in the championship. There's a lot of loan, a lot of centre-halves around in our level, you know. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I think he probably was also going to get a game. And, yeah, it's a good move. Hopefully, we've, we've got a decent fee and we've also got sell-on clause, most importantly, because, you know, kind of if he does, does make it back up again, we then get a percentage. So, yeah, good luck to him. Uh, yeah, I think probably it's the right thing. Give, give him some games. And it's encouraging that, you know, even if players don't make it, they'll get a decent career. Whereas the old days, that used to be loaned out to, you know, kind of like the Sussex County League at one point and then Oblivion, you know, it's kind of, you know, yeah, it literally was that, wasn't it, before? And I do think, yeah, you, it pays its way. As long as it pays its way, everything's good, isn't it, with, with the um, yeah, and the it academy? Only needs, you know, uh, someone like Alzate to go on and become the player that he looks like he will to pay off an awful lot of failures, even if they don't do that well, even if they mm. do cost a million or two. If Alzate goes on to become half the player he was, or Malumbi, or, you mm. know, players like that. Millwall have already had a, a club record fee turned down for Malumbi, apparently, before he went alone to Preston. You know, I mean, there's... I think midfield, if anything, is, is stronger now than central defence. If, if we do end up signing this Moses Casido or whatever, we um, will have him, we'll have Mo, Modere, we'll have um, Sanders, Malumbi, um, both Jenks and uh, Weir were on the bench at Man City. Jenks was again at the weekend. You know, they've got the, the, the development squad's really looking strong at the moment. And it's only obviously a good thing for the first team, A, if we go down, that players have got experience lower down and have a chance to play there, or, and B, if we stay up. Well, I get money for the model because it be really good for us, hopefully. Yeah, and the the other thing is that um, in terms of uh, those, those youth players, either we're going to have them and get the benefits of them in the Premier League uh, or we get them in the Championship. And if whichever division we're in, we've got a scenario we can apply according to where we are. The other thing is with, with someone like Ben White, it, when someone like him comes through, it's brilliant because either we stay in the Premier League and we sell him to a premium club, we're going to get a massive profit. 
or we stay in the Premier League and we keep him and he does well for us, mm-hmm. or we get relegated and we sell him. Either way round, we're either going to get the benefit of the player uh, and or we're going to get the sell-on at some point down the line. But why? I'm assuming based on the fact I think he was released by Southampton, there's no sell-on as well. So, you know, whereas some, like, there might be a sell-on clause in there because obviously you pick them up as a young player and they look at the, the selling club asks for a sell-on clause. I don't know what, say, someone like Alcati with Orient, if, whether that's the case or not, but... Mm. As an example, with White having been released, I'm assuming there is no there's no way of having a sell-on clause. So that's really positive as well that we get all the all the money that we get for him. Yeah, that's probably the case. And and you mentioned Balumbi. I'm not sure actually we mentioned on the podcast before that he went on loan to Preston for the season, but he, he has done. One person who'll be playing alongside, um, quite slightly confusingly, is Ben Whiteman, <laughs> who, who's a player who is a Doncaster. Um, who I really rate. I think he's a really good player. And of course, an Albion player, Taylor Richards, is also on loan at Doncaster. Um, but Ben, ben Whiteman, um, he's been signed by Preston. He's a really good prospect. He's a goal-scoring attacking midfielder. He scores goals from range. One to keep an eye on in general. I really kind of like the idea of assigning him longer term, just purely for the confusion factor. Um, having Ben White and Ben Whiteman in the same team. But uh, no, we, we look on with interest to see how both Malumbi and Gukeres do, but also, you know, good luck to Warren Ahura with his, with his full-time yeah. career now with, uh, with MK well, Dodds. This can only help in terms of getting other players in, in that side mm. of it, you know, in kind of future reference. You know, players know that even if they don't quite make it here, they'll get the grounding and the, you know, and the, the ways of working that even if they end up having a career in League One, that's still a decent career for a footballer. Yeah. And then they can maybe build themselves up in a couple of years and maybe get that's higher. Right. I, I was listening to the Totally Football League podcast the other day and they, they mentioned us quite a bit on there. They were talking about Sanchez, the loans, and how there's opportunities for players who could then potentially apply their trade in the Premier League as Sanchez is currently doing with us. And um, there was complimentary talk about Ben White and there was talk about a horror going to MK Dons. Um, I think it all paints us in a good light. And I think, yeah, you know... That's one of the reasons why I've I've not fully got into the Potter out camp. I, I was siding, siding towards it. And if anything, I was on the side of the fence where I felt possibly before Saturday, he was looking... I, I, if anything, it was probably time to go if we weren't getting a striker. But I was never fully in that. But because I think he has given young players a chance. Um, mm. And he has really kind of developed some of these players. and Which is why I find it really funny that Bernardo didn't... Because on the face of it, he was a young player with real potential. Yeah. And it's funny that he hasn't developed under him, whereas like Basuma obviously has, you know, White's obviously developed a bit more this season. I think Labti has massively since he joined. Um, Alzate did last season. Connolly, I think, has developed, even if he's not quite the finished article yet and maybe not quite hmm. or any quality. You know, players like that, Sanchez obviously has improved since he's come in and had a yeah. game at the weekend. So, you know, it's, it's a good and time. I know the finances are a more all-encompassing thing, but if you look at it just in isolation, if Warren O'Hara goes for two or three hundred thousand pounds or something, I don't have no idea what, what we what we took um, in in fee for him. But um, any of that, the fee, whatever it is, goes towards the upkeep and the running costs of the the academy. And if you can make clear profits um, by selling a couple of players who are very good but not good enough for where we are now. That justifies it. And if we're in the championship, well, we, well, we just probably use them more. You look at what we pay for Webster, and you think then Clark's had two seasons at, or a year and a half so far at Derby, and yeah. done really well there. So, I mean, Webster obviously went for 20 million, so we probably wouldn't get that much for him. But, you know, people, you know, if, if we did want to sell him to a championship team, we did like if he wasn't going to be Premier League quality next season, we'd probably get a, a lot more than our, what, four million, I think it was we got, we paid Portsmouth now. You know, we're probably looking at. Hmm. 
you know, seven, eight, nine, ten million or whatever, based on on what champion English championship proven players have gone for. Yeah, and um, yeah, I mean that's the other thing, isn't that's it? Because Clark, I think has Clark come back because Derby have got some I've not cash heard flow issues. There's been rumours around that he might be returning, but nothing. Yeah, I read somewhere about that. I don't know if there's anything in that, but um, oh. I, I could say he'll just go out on loan somewhere else. Money, he's not gonna. It's not going to feature for us, but I mean, um, it's hard to see, unless unless someone like Byrne was to go in such a first team football, it's hard to see Clark hmm. technically be sixth choice, and he's not like he can play anywhere else. I don't think. I don't think yeah, he's adept at wing back or anything. One one other thing on peripheral Albion squad members, um, Shane Duffy. I think I read somewhere the other day that the Celtic are saying they're going to keep it, definitely keep him for the rest of the season. They were reiterating. So interesting, given all the criticism that he's um, been subject to. Uh, from various quarters, particularly in the fan base side of things. Um, that's interesting. It suits us, of course, because um, we, we're going to have him out on loan one way or the other anyway, aren't we? So it might as well be. Next season, because he's far too good, frankly, to play for Celtic and be like a reserve at mm. Celtic. He's, he's far too good to be in a championship, but then will we want to play him for, take him, sell him to a Premier League club? And is he. I could see him playing for Burnley, couldn't you, in either division? Yeah, but then would Burnley want him? I mean, they've got some pretty good centre-halves themselves. I mean, I'm not sure convinced he'd be above Tarkowski and me. Um, especially if Tarkowski was sold. But then even then, you'd probably, they'd probably spend more money, especially with their, their takeover being complete. It's an interesting one. I feel a bit sorry for him because he was such a big part of our first two seasons, but he seems to have lost his way a bit, kind of. And yeah, it's obviously not gone as he dreamed at Celtic. He obviously wanted to be at, go to Celtic and get the record 10 in a row and be a key part of that and then... You know, try and you know, for whatever find a way of either signing permanently or going somewhere else. But it's it's obviously you know, obviously mm-hmm. as we all know, players get scapegoated, and it sounds like he definitely has been scapegoated by Celtic. He's not been perfect, but he's not been as bad as a lot of the supporters have said. I think. So that about wraps it up for this episode of the pod. Next up. Football-wise, is Blackpool at the weekend. We've been drawn at home to the lower league side at the Amex in the FA Cup this weekend, and it's going to be a rare outing against them. We've only played, surprisingly, 30 games against them in our head-to-head history, and curiously, the stats are rather even. 10 wins, 10 draws, and 10 defeats. Um, So who's going to get the edge after this weekend? Um, What we do know is that um, our most recent games against them were a ball draw at home and a really miserable 1-0 defeat away, um, uncharacteristically for the season we were having at the time, a few years ago in the Championship. Um, a more memorable game from the Championship in 2013 was the 6-1 thrashing we administered over them at the Amex in that season when pl- the playoffs were pretty much imminent by that stage as we were cruising towards them. And what happened in those playoffs in 2013, of course, we won't mention here. Um, the other thing that I wanted to just flag up is that we have a very special half-term report episode coming up next. It's going to be with, uh, making his second appearance, BBC Radio Sussex commentator Johnny Cantor to give us his opinions on the Albion's first half of season, uh, how he thinks we've done, what, what he thinks we've done well, what he thinks we've done badly, um, who stood out for him, and what his views are on the likelihood of success relative to our position in the second half of the season. So stay tuned for that one. Until then, stand or fall, up the Albion. Hello. We're going to do a quick bit of stoppage time because just after recording, a couple of interesting bits of information. First of all, Newport. Um, Peter, tell us what's happened at Newport's game at Cheltenham today. So it looks like 
from uh, from what I've seen on one clip that uh, the Newport goalkeeper has scored from his own six yard box with a uh, just a kind of a kick forward as normal and it kind of like bounced awkwardly and flown over the Cheltenham keeper's head in his their game tonight. So yeah, yeah. Tim, what are the odds on that? Brilliant. You've got to love it. King's the guy, isn't it, who scored yeah, the goal? He also saved two or three penalties against us. Um, yeah, so yeah. It's landed, to be fair. He's managed to kick it. From looking at the clip, he's managed to kick it. So it's landed pretty much on the edge of the opposing area, which is a pretty long kick anyway. And it just seems to have taken off. And the keeper's slightly further forward than he might be. And he's, uh, yeah, regretted it. Brilliant. And the other bit we wanted to join back in for was to tell you, you, you will know this by the time you're listening already anyway, but nonetheless, I'm going to tell you, West Ham 2, West Brom 1. Yeah, great result. Bowen, it, extra, um, injury time in the first half, Bowen scored. Um, bloody Pereira again, 51 minutes for West in, Brom. In quite a few for West Brom. Um, and it's Mr. Antonio. Actually, there's something I wanted to say about him. He scored the winner on 66 minutes. Uh, I love you, Mr. Antonio. You are one of my favourite footballers. Not only because you've scored a crucial goal against West Brom to help further our cause, but also, did you hear what Tammy said about Zaha and yeah, Grealish this week? Um, <laughs> yeah, relating to players who maybe don't stay on their feet very much. Yeah, he said something like he was doing a backstroke gesture, which I thought looked a bit naff, actually, to be honest. When I heard the background of it, he, he was quoted as saying um, something along the lines of, well, um, Zaha and Grealish seem to be treating football pitches like swimming pools. So I thought I'd do a tribute to them. The reference to our favourite players as well in a process. I know. If, if he'd have had a dig at Leeds, he would have been the ideal man there, wouldn't he, really? It was brilliant. But, <laughs> well done, Michael Antonio. Well done to West Ham. And well done to the Newport goalie. Right. We're signing off officially now. Until the next one, Peter. Once again, we say, stand or fall. Up the Albion. Podcast Network.